Today's Skim from the Couch is presented by AC Hotels by Marriott, a modern hotel experience with a focus on purposeful design. I think when I was in business school, I thought my business idea needed to be huge. I didn't think I could just make a better water bottle. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team. To the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Our guest today is Sarah Kaus, founder and CEO of Swell. With a product that is beautiful, sustainable, and charitable, Sarah is on a mission to reduce single-use plastic worldwide. Her company is not only rethinking how people drink, but with their new food containers, also how they eat on the go. Swell products are now sold in over 65 countries and are aiming to displace over a million single-use plastic bottles from landfills by 2020. That's a great mission. We are big fans of Swell. Uh, Great product. Sarah, welcome to the couch. Let's get into it. Great. Thanks for having me. So Sarah, first, let's just skim your resume for us. Uh, So I grew up in South Florida, but I had a dream of going west. So I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder. I studied accounting. And my first job after school was I was a CPA for Ernst & Young for a number of years. Um, I went to Harvard for business school after that, and I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't come up with my big idea until after doing commercial real estate for about six years. Always carrying around a reusable bottle, but it wasn't something that was stylish and it didn't really fit my needs. And one day I just came up with the idea for Swell and I couldn't get it out of my head. I love how you said that you had a dream of going west. It, it kind of like brings me back to a different age in America. I feel America. like Oregon Trail. Yes. <laughs> well, Florida's pretty flat. And not to say that it's boring. All the reasons why I made fun of it growing up, I still really love to go home now. Um, but as, as a young person, I couldn't imagine staying in the town where I grew up. And as soon as I read about the University of Colorado and sort of how um, environmental it was and how beautiful it was and how all the you know science classes were outside in the mountains, I just got a bee in my bonnet. And I just thought I have to convince my parents to let me go to this beautiful place. What is something that no one could find on your LinkedIn? I love old Godzilla movies. <laughs> oh, that is it. I was really not expecting yeah, one. I was not expecting that at all. So what made you go to business school? A lot of our audience has asked us this before. Should I go to business school or thinking about the reasons to go? And obviously you went and did something extraordinary after. So what was your motivation to go? You know, I think it's a really personal decision. For me, I was a bit of a restless soul. And I knew that I did not want to be an accountant forever. I learned a lot at EY. I'm glad that I started my career in accounting but I didn't want to grow up to be my boss or my boss's boss. What I really wanted to be was one of my clients. When I deconstructed my clients and really thought about the entrepreneurs I was working with and for at the time as my clients, one of the things that they had in common were a lot of them went to business school. And so for me, my personal decision was, going to school, yes, would put me into debt and it would take me away from my career for two years, but it would give me the luxury of time for a few years to expose myself to a whole bunch of different people and ideas and industries that maybe I would come up with that aha moment of what I wanted to do next. 
So before we get into that aha moment, which we're going to next, um, what does a typical day look like for you? Do you have a routine? You know, I actually don't have a routine. Um, I travel a lot. Um, but I'm a new mom, and so I think part of thank you. But so I think part of my routine is, you know, whether I'm at home with my son or I'm on the road, I probably either start the day with him in person or start the day with him on FaceTime. Really grounding myself and, uh, you know, family and sort of what the priorities are. And I think that in the last year since becoming a mom, it's really helped me focus on doing those really hard things first. And so my poor team has to really put up with me of rescheduling uh, a day every day um, to make sure I get those important things in first because oftentimes I don't have the luxury of staying at the office as late as I might have earlier in my career because I've got a bit of different priorities. So I would say the routine is really just trying to attack those big gnarly things as soon as possible in the day to make sure that I'm as productive as possible. Let's talk about the aha moment that you referenced. Bring us back there. Uh, So I was doing commercial real estate for a number of years and working really hard but I wasn't really happy. I didn't feel completely fulfilled in what I was doing in my life. I skipped a number of years of vacation. My mom said, listen, let's go away. Let's have a mother-daughter trip. And it was one of the first times I had really gotten out in nature in a while. And I almost had to get off that treadmill to see things differently. And I was in Arizona with my mom on a hot day, having a hike and drinking out of a reusable water bottle that was single-walled. It was just in front of me for so long that I didn't see it, but I literally had to be on the side of the mountain, thirsty and hot, drinking you know, warm water. And I had this moment where I thought, if I created something that not only looked better than this thing I was using, but worked better, something that was insulated, something that would keep things cold, potentially I could convince more people to use a reusable bottle. And it just came to me, like literally on the side of the mountain that day, and I started my business plan that afternoon. I love how you describe it because I'm visualizing the movie of of the swell story and like, wow, what it must have been a beautiful hike. You had this moment, go do the business plan, and here we are. A few questions to kind of like unpack that. Were you always eco-conscious? Was this something that was always important to you? It was always important to me. So growing up in Florida, we recycled before anyone on our street. We recycled before there was even, you know, the recycling trucks that picked up. And my dad would take us on the weekends to sort of bring it to our, our local recycling center. So it was something that I really grew up with. And then it was sort of solidified in me by being in Boulder for undergrad, where everyone's a little bit of a tree hugger, (laughs) you know, if not fully on. And so when I was in school, every single person was issued a sort of a reusable cup, and we signed a pledge not to use styrofoam. And that was completely fine. I was walking around with a big mug with a a buffalo on the side that happened to be (laughs) our mascot. It was fine when I was in Boulder. It was not fine when I was doing commercial real estate living in New York. So I was using a reusable bottle taking a sip and then hiding it in my bag because I didn't want people to think, oh, I'm this tree hugger from Colorado. I wanted to be this hip New Yorker. And when I had that moment of thinking, wow, if something looked better, like I could leave it on the table when I was, you know, in a board meeting or, you know, purchase it and, you know, a high-end retail store and be more of an it thing and almost convince and convert the non-converted, so people that weren't using reusable bottles, to think that this was a good idea. You saw this problem and you immediately had this big idea. Would you have described yourself as somebody who always was a big idea person? I'm curious, pre-swell, pre this moment on the hike, were you always somebody that saw problems and sought solutions or was this particularly just an area that you were passionate about? I think both. I think when I was in business school, I thought my business idea needed to be huge. 
I didn't think I could just make a better water bottle. I thought it needed to be something that, you know, I don't know, had technology or, you know, would change the world. And this idea couldn't get out of my head. And I think for me, I would have always kicked myself if I didn't do it and I saw someone else do it. And I thought if I could create sort of a fashion accessory that's hydration and someone else does it 10 years later, and I think I always walked around with that idea I should have. I think for me, it wasn't just that I was a big idea person. I think I was just so stubborn that I couldn't stop thinking about this thing. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to have to put one foot in front of another and see if I can get it done. It's so interesting what you just said about thinking it had to be a tech-based idea or something that was going to change the world because your product has such a huge mission associated with it. It's not just about a water bottle. It's about what you're working towards. How early did that part come into kind of the DNA of the company? I would say from the very first bottle we've sold, I've always given back to water charities. So at this point, I'm really proud of the fact that we've brought clean drinking water to 500,000 people in Madagascar through our partnership with UNICEF. I had read a book and went to a presentation about the water crisis, and I realized that almost a billion people on the planet didn't have access to clean drinking water, and it primarily affects women and girls. You know, girls drop out of school when they don't have um, sanitation in bathrooms at school. You know, moms oftentimes bear the burden of collecting drinking water for their home, so they wouldn't have vocations out of the home. So I read about this and then realized that I was living in New York City and there wasn't access to clean drinking water in a lot of places, but we had access to some of the best drinking water in the world, but people weren't using it. So from the very beginning, I thought, what if I was a mission-driven company and I was basically trying to provide clean drinking water to people at the same time I'm trying to convince people in the Western world to actually to drink the water that we have. And so I think that almost from that aha moment on the mountain of like putting these things together, I'm reading about the water crisis and feeling it's so overwhelming. Um, you know, all the statistics about, you know, how much plastic's in the ocean. By the year 2050, there's going to be more plastic by weight in the ocean than fish. And then you think, how does anyone wrap their head around helping? And then you think, well, actually, by using a swell, by making one little everyday change, you can have that impact. And I think the challenge for me is I had so much to say on the mission that my very first website almost looked like we were a nonprofit that happened to be selling a product. Like I had pictures of, you know, people that that didn't have clean drinking water and I had pictures of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and it was really depressing. And then by the way, I had this one blue bottle that I was selling over here and I really had to turn that upside down and say, I'm making a beautiful product that's going to change your life. And by the way, it's going to make the world a better place. And that took me a couple years to figure out. Not to say that everyone didn't care about the mission as much as I did, but first and foremost, they cared about the product. And then by default, by using the product, you're doing something good. That pivot is a really important one that obviously contributed to um, the terrific success that you've had. Did you figure that out on your own or was there advisors or mentors that you leaned on to kind of help you kind of have a perspective around how to approach the problem that you wanted to solve from a business standpoint? Um, So I had independent sort of informal advisors and sort of friends and family members. Um, But because I was the only employee for the first few years and I was on the front lines of, you know, attending all of the trade shows, meeting with all the customers, getting all of the feedback, it really was a constant feedback loop of, you know, talking to people, getting their feedback, understanding how to incorporate the message. So I think that there was a lot of sort of little pivots, not necessarily one big, you know, one big flip. But I always listened to what everybody had to say. I didn't always take all of the (laughs) advice, but it all went into sort of like the melting pot of me sort of making some product changes over time. 
Let's take a quick break. Something we talk about a lot on the show is balance. And we put it in quotes on our papers that we're reading off of um, because we talk a lot about work-life balance and it's not a thing. I don't think you can be completely in balance at the same time. I think if you strive for that, like you're setting yourself up for failure. It's not going to be 50-50 all the time. But we definitely try to weave in personal time. You have to take a step back in order to be creative. And one thing that really helps us with that is traveling, literally physically getting outside of your every single day. Yeah. So when we travel, we look for hotels that can make sure that we actually have me time and sort of feel like you are um, in your own home. And that's why we love AC hotels. They are beautifully designed. Um, Every hotel is designed to be super functional and also feel timeless. Uh, I personally love the European-inspired breakfast at the AC kitchen. I personally enjoy their custom cocktails in the AC lounge and bar. And as you know, we love books, and they have a library with a curated book selection. They also have over 45 locations across the country and cultural hubs um, with plans to double that soon uh, and also international expansion on the horizon. So they are taking over. Visit AC Hotels at achotels.marriott.com to learn more. So I want to go back to you on the mountain. You Mm -hmm. have this idea. You see the opportunity. You're like, I've always been passionate about this. This makes sense. I'm going to go home and write my business plan. When I hear your story and hear um, that you were, you know, in accounting, you went to business school, I'm like, okay, like you clearly knew how to do a business plan. You you had the vision. What were the boxes that you didn't check off? What didn't you know how to do to get your idea to become a reality? Where was the learning curve for you? So for me, I didn't know anything about how to make a product. So how to design a product, how to find a factory, um, how to scale a a product. So um, I basically had to use sort of my informal advisors, lots of lunches, lots of coffee dates, lots of glasses of wine, and just say, listen, I don't know how to do X. I don't know how to design a product. Like the first Swell bottle was actually designed in PowerPoint, which is laughable. If you go to our office now, we have real great engineers and 3D (laughs) printing machines and we do things properly and we don't do them in PowerPoint. But I didn't know. And so there was sort of a lot of sort of, you know, um, testing along the way, um, a lot of wasted time. But I was, was really good about explaining what I didn't know to people and just asking for help. And I think that people liked the fact that I was trying to do something different and that if they didn't have the answer, they were willing to try to put me in touch with someone else. And interestingly enough, it's sort of those people that sort of helped me in the early days that were the champions that really helped me get to where we are now. By telling people that I was imperfect and I had no idea what I was doing in certain areas, that encouraged them to really help us even more. Talking about where you are now, Um, How many years has it been since you started the company? Nine years. Nine years, and you still own 100% of your company. I do. That's insane. (laughs) You have no investors. It's so unusual. Can you talk us through, how did you do it? Talk us through the financing. Talk us through the dream. It's a really, it's a different path that I decided to take. And so I think part of it was because I was an accountant. So I, I cared about unit economics. I wanted to be profitable from the very first a bottle that was sold. And I also wanted to control my destiny. I was afraid if I had investors in the early years, they wouldn't let me create sort of the premium brand that I was trying to create. So I had in my mind, I wanted to sell in Bloomingdale's. And Bloomingdale said no for two years. And I also said no to Target for four years. And I was afraid that um, 
until I was ready to create a diffusion line that was right for mass market. If I had an investor, how would you turn down a certain retailer when you're waiting for someone else? Like I wanted to create a luxury brand without a background in luxury. And to do that, I needed the time to get retailers to understand what I was doing. And so I almost didn't want the investors because I didn't want the pressure. But I also wanted a safe place to make a lot of mistakes because I didn't really know what I was doing. And so by being able to sort of incubate this little thing, I wanted to be a little bit stronger when I did go to get investors. And I was still talking, I mean, I always take meetings with you know potential investors and partners and strategics. And it's, it's super interesting now that everyone's talking about sustainability. Like it wasn't necessarily super popular when I started nine years ago. We're working with some of the biggest partners in the world. Um, and to be able to scale, we might need you know to potentially talk to an investor, but we're doing that in a place of strength, not yeah. just I'm a girl with an idea and like I'm a woman with a business now, and it's it's different. Um, but it's different for everyone. I, I, you know, if I started a new company today, I might want to take on investors and scale a lot faster, but I didn't have the confidence to do that back then. I mean, I think everything you're talking about resonates with us. Being able to control your own destiny, being able to, um, you know be a woman who runs her own business rather than somebody just with an idea. But obviously there's capital that you need to be able to do that and um, to get that strength. Now we read and tell us if we're wrong, that you used your initial money um, was $30,000 and that was your entire life savings. Is that right? That's right. So here's my question. You're an accountant. If I went to my accountant and I said, I'd like to use my whole life savings for an idea, my accountant would say, I think you should go take a walk around the block. As an accountant, how did you decide to weigh like, okay, here's an idea, I'm gonna invest in myself versus thinking about the risk? I think that's a great question. Um, I actually did hire someone to come in, another accountant to help me set up my first QuickBooks file. And he said to me, bring me all your bank statements and I'll, I'll set up this file for you. And um, I had less money in the bank than the apartment that we were sitting in it's rent for that month. And he basically did the same thing. He said, you know, what What are you doing? You should go get a real job. And I said to him, I said, well, I have all this inventory. Like, I know that I need to hustle to sell the stuff that's sitting in this apartment to be able to pay for it. I almost needed that. I don't like sales. Like, I don't, I'm not really that much of a, like, outgoing people person. And so for me to go door to door and say, hi, I'm Sarah, this is my water bottle, and I really want you to buy it, I almost needed that pressure from a financial perspective. I also really did not want to go back to accounting. I really didn't want that to happen. But I, I think it's a really great question about, like, when do you lay it all on the line? Um, for me, I just knew that if it all fell apart, there was something else that I could do. Um, I was lucky because I started the company when I was single and I didn't have a family and I didn't have a lot of expenses. And and I know not everyone has the luxury of being able to say, you know, I'm going to go for broke here. And if it doesn't work, that's all right. How did you make the first sales? I just walked into stores. Like I just I had a little backpack and I carried in my bottles and I still remember the man that said yes the first time, and he said yeah. Where where was it? Um, it was a, a store called Mizzy Plixic, uh, who was was named after a Star Wars or uh, maybe Star Wars character. I can't remember. It's it's not there anymore. His name was Kevin and he was very nice and he said yes I'll take four of them. And then I didn't know what to do because I didn't have an order form. I'd like, do I take a credit card? I mean, I, I had planned so much right. about like the pitch and I wrote my own sort of press page and I had a little folder and I brought it in. He's like, okay, I'll put it on the shelf and try. And I was so excited. And then I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and then I remember going home on the subway and I was so excited and I went back and I brought him four the next day. And then I kept stopping in like, did they sell? And he's like, yeah, I'll take four more. I will always remember that joy. 
So I want to talk about um, that loyalty. And obviously, they sold quickly. You were onto something. You have a product that people can't seem to get enough of. We read that your average customer owns over five Swell products. That's crazy. Where does this loyalty come from? How did you create this kind of cult following? You know, I think people either buy or receive as a gift their first product because of what the product looks like. They like the color, the pattern, the fact that we have a designer collaboration. And then what happens is they find out that the product really works, that, you know, it keeps ice colds until, you know, the next day you leave it in your hot car. And and there's this moment of joy when you're on the subway and you're drinking your latte and it's still hot. Or And so there's something about the product. And sometimes it's because of, you know, the charity partner. And sometimes it's because of the color. But I think it's almost like all of the pieces coming together synergistically that just make people feel like they love it. And we've been doing some customer research recently where we feel that Customers have this sort of, um, you know, they've got this phone that's sort of like a vortex into like my email and the things that I need to do that they always carry. But when they carry their swell and they they take a sip of their favorite beverage, it's almost that moment that they look up to the sky and they have a, a moment of peace to themselves. And it's like they feel better to have it with them. And I feel that that's part of the reason that people are now using the product and gifting the product, taking pictures of it and tagging us on Instagram has been like happening since the beginning. It's really a neat thing to see people feeling a part of a brand. I don't know that I really expected that when I started. I don't like to admit this, but looking at the calendar, it's going to become fall really soon. The good thing about that is sweater weather. I love sweater weather. As we all know, fall brings out pumpkin spices. It brings out leaves and it brings out comfortable bras. I didn't know where you were going with that. And I was getting really awkward talking about bras and what comes out in a season is is an interesting lead in. But I liked it. Um, We love third love. There's a fit finder quiz. So you answer a few simple questions and they give you your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Also, there's no itchy. There's no No tag. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, and right now they are offering all of you, our listeners, 15% off of your first order. Just go to thirdlove.com slash skim right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash skim for 15% off today. Can you talk us through... um the decision to work with new partners. You've been really intentional about wanting to build a luxury brand. I'm sure at this stage with the success, so many people want to partner with you. How do you make those decisions that are right for the Swell brand? So I would say we still say a lot of no's. A a few years ago, I did make the decision to start a second brand. So we have a, a brand and a line called Sip, Sip by Swell. And that's our style versus fashion line. It's still um, fun and playful, but maybe not as sophisticated. Um, And because we've got two brands, it's allowed us to say more yeses, but still some no's. So SIP is sold in places like Target, for example. Because of my mission of trying to get as many people to use a reusable water bottle, we didn't want to necessarily only be in the most high-end luxury stores. We wanted to be accessible, but we also wanted to make sure we weren't necessarily watering down the brand by being everywhere. No pun intended. Oh, I didn't even do that on purpose. (laughs) I just just had to. Sorry. (laughs) What's the collaboration you're most proud of? Oh, that's a great question. 
it's like picking your favorite child. That's <laughs> really hard. You know, I would say the, the collaboration probably with Starbucks is one of the things that I think really helped us grow up. Starbucks called me and it was a very big decision when they called. I only had one employee at the time. We were sitting in a very small WeWork office and um, I made the decision to fly out and uh, meet with them. And starting very small, um, you know, fast forward, I had the opportunity to meet with Howard Schultz and convince him to go from 140 stores to 10,000 stores. Then we rolled out in um, in Europe and Asia. I think the fact of the matter that we were able to scale and dance with a partner was, was that big. And the fact that they believed in us and they put us in so many doors and they gave us signage. I think it really, it helped us punch above our weight in a, in a pretty neat way. Um, it also really challenged us on, um, you know, getting through uh, factory audits. Like they really care about the quality of the, the partners. And it, you know, it was almost a two year growing up project and process for Swell to be able to do something that big. Now, that being said, our, our business is much smaller with Starbucks today than it was in the past. But because of the rigor of having to work with them, I think it made us a better company. One of our favorite collaborations is the one between Swell and any wine bottle of our choosing. Can you talk through <laughs> how Swell has gone from the mission solely focused on water to maybe some other uses for the products? Sure. I also love the wine bottle. Yes. And I am sitting here with a wine bottle, but I promise you it's full of water right now. Um, <laughs> oh, so that's so sad. You our, have to come back. <laughs> our 25-ounce bottle does hold a lot of water or an entire <laughs> bottle of wine. Um, really, the decision was meeting our customers where they were. What we were hearing from customers when we only had the 17-ounce bottle and sort of the hero size that most people know um, we heard that customers were filling their bottles of wine. They were going to music festivals or parks where you maybe you weren't supposed to have adult beverages or you weren't allowed to have glass. So we just said, you know what? Why don't we why don't we meet our customers where they are? And ever since the beginning, we've had this great relationship with people having this feeling about the product and feeling that they can call us or write to us. Every Monday at our powwows in the office, we start with customer service, reading us their favorite lines from customers or what customers don't like about the product or what they wish the product had. And it's really, it's it's allowed us to create not just the wine bottle size, but we've got the Traveler, which is a wide mouth. We've got drink through lids. We've got hooks on lids. We've got, you know, things you can use at SoulCycle and not have to take off the top now. But it all really has come from meeting our customers and making sure that we're not just innovating for innovation's sake. We don't want to come out with a bunch of stuff with a Swell logo. Like we're very mindful about just making things that customers are looking for. You say we a lot. Now, I know as you talk about your journey, it was you for a really long time. Walk us through the transition from you doing really everything to now having over 100 employees. It has been a journey. I mean, I would say even in the beginning when it was just me, I think I said we a lot. So I look like we were- We used to do that too. We but. were a bigger company. So, you know, you always have a we behind yes. you. Um, you know, I would say that the transition from project to company has probably been the hardest on the Swell journey um, because, you know, as you mentioned, we weren't venture backed and we didn't necessarily have the growth plan lined up. A lot of what we were doing was making it up as we went and then all of a sudden realizing, wait a minute, we don't have the people or the processes or the systems or the structures that we need for the scale that we are. So what was the first hire you made? Um, first hire I made uh, was a wonderful woman named Katie straight out of college, first job, and she literally wore all of the hats. So I think officially she was director of marketing or something, but it was just basically doing everything that I was doing. 
A question that I'm sure you get all the time is from um, people that want to start a company because they see something that is social impact-based or mission-based. What advice do you have um, for potential social impact entrepreneurs out there who are looking at maybe thinking through, do we solve something that's going on in the world from the business aspect first or from more of the nonprofit angle? And I think that's something that it sounds like it was a decision that you had to make really early on from even what the website looked like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sort of depends on the certain, you know, the angle or the impact that they're looking to have. I, of course, I'm biased and I think go at it from a business perspective and, you know, do it from a product perspective and get people to kind of realize the the mission or the vision that you've got. Um, I guess my advice would be try to talk to as many people in the space as possible. Um, and not to necessarily see others as competitive. And this is a challenge for me when I started um, until I was really open about having conversations about my business idea, not making people sign NDAs, you know, basically just sitting down and That's saying- That's a fun transition when you realize you don't have yeah. to do that for every meeting. I know, right? But I, I just thought I had such a good idea, I didn't want to tell anyone. And then I realized if I didn't tell anyone, I wasn't going to get any advice. And so I would say my advice would be just be open about it and try to just ask as many people and ask high, you know, make your dream list of the five or 10 or 15 people in the world that could be most valuable and try to go for them. You just never know who's going to respond or who they might even refer you to. I'm sure you are on the top of many people's dream lists. So what is the best way to get your attention to not flood your inbox? But in general, what is the best way to get you your You know attention? what? I have a lot of people that write to me on social media and um, some of our, like our, my favorite collaborations have come that way or conversations. I speak at a lot of universities and I still have some students that I keep in touch with that happened to just come up with, you know, at the end of a panel. So don't flood my inbox. But no, but it, I but I think it's right. I think, you know, it, the more that you can reach out to people and just share your idea, I think people are really giving with their time. Well, we have loved partnering with you on the Skimmed from the Couch book tour. Wait, sorry. No, wait. No, that was not our We have tour. loved partnering with you on the How to Skim Your Life book tour on set, having swell bottles on stage with us. We want to get into the final round, our favorite round, the lightning round. Okay. I feel like we should do like a drum roll. <clears throat> yes. Okay. You have to answer as quickly as you can. Okay. First job. Scooping ice cream. Oh, a lot of people have that as their first job. I had that. Yeah. I wasn't great at it. My, was, my wrist strength didn't keep up. I wasn't great. And to this day, I don't like eating ice cream. It like ruined me. Uh, I thought we had a connection to Yeah. Me. Worst uh, job. <laughs> worst job. Um... Working in a UPS packing store at Christmas time. Yeah, oh, that, that sounds like yeah. it. Uh, first call when you get good news. Uh, either my husband or my mom. Bad news. Oh, probably my husband. Who's your mentor? My mentor. You know, I have a lot of mentors. I have so many good girlfriends. Um, it sort of depends on the the crisis of the day or the joy of the day of sort of who I go for. But it's always the women in my life. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Probably daily. Last question. Um, what's your shameless plug? Shameless plug, we launched a new product today. We've Ooh. been working on it for two years. Congratulations. Thank you. It's called Swell Eats, and we're, we're trying to do um, the same for 
uh, single-use plastics in the beverage space for the food space. So we have a food container. It's trying to encourage healthy eating, um, meal prep, and trying to not use uh, single-use plastics when you're picking up your lunch or packing your lunch, sending your kids would to school Would it be good lunch. for my ice cream? You could put your ice cream great, in it. It would stay you. a long time. That's great. It also would maybe propel me into thinking through meal prep on Sundays if, like, the food that I prepped looked good in the containers. I don't think you know? the containers are going to, like, help you be a better cook. No, actually, I, we I thought see, about this. Sarah really? does. Yeah. Oh. Right. It's a whole thing. Okay, okay, what do you? Calm yeah. Down. So the the actual container on the inside of the Swill Eats is clear. So mm-hmm. what you can do, and we actually sell a four pack of the prep bowls. You can prep your salads, your quinoa, your soup, whatever you're making. Put it in the fridge. You can zap it in the microwave for a second. Drop it into your Swill Eats. It'll stay hot and cold all day, waiting for your lunch. Dream oh, yeah. come true. I just have to make it. All right, guys, See. I stand corrected. Sarah, it is such a pleasure to chat with you. Congratulations on everything. We are huge fans. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 